0: Please go to tacticalpermaculture.com to read my blog, watch my videos, view my photos, access web applications, and click on the Join Membership link to access exclusive features. Episode 72 originally recorded early summer 2023. I'm actually recording this introduction to um, to an episode that I recorded a few weeks ago uh that got really long and so I decided to break it up into a couple segments but it was basically a, um after I had been re rewatching the stand kind of in the background of my off my solar office environment um really feeling into the uh the prophetic and spiritual and political and ecological astute philosophy that that Stephen King worked with uh, in that in that material so I felt it was a good time for me personally to check in on my my analysis on the state of the uh, I suppose the state of of um, popular epidemiology is kind of what <laughs> what it ends up becoming. I, I I I kicked around a few different concepts in that that recent episode, um, and there's more. I mean, you, you could you could spend the rest of your whole life just analyzing the last few years, and from almost any academic discipline, and have all all of your work cut out for you for all of your papers and all of your books and all of your courses that you would teach and all the grants you would write <laughs> there's plenty of there's plenty to study so for me part of i'm not i'm not in in those fields professionally academically um I am very curious and now my interest is peaked in understanding a lot of um, blind spots, epidemiologically speaking, that I wasn't aware of and that I thought I had some good sense about. But, um, I mean, luckily my precautionary principle and my my leaning towards not being hubristic and not being arrogant about it, kept me wanting to study more and and be as hesitant as possible about about risk taking and I'm still in that mode um, so this introduction is for the the additional segments of of that that very long kind of frustrated and unexpressed archive of, of thoughts and feelings that I have uh, haven't had a lot of people to share to share with because a lot of people are really not not wanting to rip off the band-aid or scratch the scab, whichever where whatever the whatever the case may be, the, the zeitgeist is is in a weird uh cognitive dissonant kind of place that I want to I don't want to agitate that right now but also it's timely because there is some serious high level cultural agitation of people's just trying to cope and and move on and heal and figure out what the next chapter is going to be like for their life whether they're debilitated by long covid or still exposed to a lot of it or feel like they got lucky and maybe never had it or weren't really affected by it didn't know anybody who died or isn't caretaking anyone who is debilitated i mean everyone's got a different relationship to the to different outcomes but uh there's still i think the the most persistent phenomenon, outside of macroeconomic factors like supply chain and bank collapses, and just after effects of uh, massive economic disruption from lockdowns and everything that that flo- that flowed from that, and then of course um, the people who are who are suffering long COVID, which I pay a lot of attention to and have a lot of compassion for uh, more than most I would say and but what is often even from the start and still is overshadowing that is what I think is a lot of opportunism and some people would say opportun or a lot of people would say opportunism for overreach by the state worldwide and whatever they call them the globalists and, and whatnot. not um i have a i do pay attention to the people who are who are who are on extreme ends of of the the skepticism and the the hostility towards um the global elite and and different agendas and whatnot um i just don't myself care to um i i care to secure ecological integrity and security meaning food security, water security, and the health of the soil and the detoxification. And if I'm doing that alone, I've done it in groups and in communities before, and uh, I've always been more down to earth in that way. So if we can talk about conspiracies, if you want to talk about conspiracies while we're actually digging swales or planting trees or working in the garden, and we can multitask and have that conversation great but if all we're doing is being on computers and being in a toxic mind state and being agitated and probably having poor blood ph and maybe we're taking a bunch of fancy supplements and having those supplements advertised on our shows and whatnot but to me the holistic piece of being deeply embedded in a in a mature and sophisticated rich permaculture environment of true value um i i I really would would uh promote that and so it's kind of heartbreaking and agonizing for me to see that a lot of people are really financially and intellectually and just in terms of energetically socially capitalizing on um the infinite uh Opportunity that is demonizing officials and trying to connect dots and, and develop ever more sprawling conspiracy theories uh, delusions of reference I believe is what they're called clinically is one of the things not to mention all these fallacies so I just read a great actually uh, uh, I think it's your local epidemiologist newsletter I apologize I don't that's what I remember, it stands out as a good brand, I can't remember the name of the author, but, uh, but I subscribed to that, and, uh, and she's great, and, uh, total, did this breakdown introducing a bunch of, um, logical fallacies that I wasn't even yet aware of, but maybe, I don't even know if they're new, or if they're old, or, or what, but, but, there was this great critique that either she crafted or she shared but it was presented in a newsletter all about the arrogance of trying to draw somebody into a public debate where charm is more more um more persuasive than than sound science and that real this scientific rigor is actually boring and, and and takes a long time and is done in peer-reviewed journals and conferences and whatnot but the The sort of uh, the very macho showdown uh, kind of um, standoff vibe of public debates. Yeah, I I see it as just uh, as a a, a poorly a, a poorly structured, unless it's actual debate teams following debate rules uh in, in a very meticulous manner but in general i think when you have panel discussions and just people talking heads that they're uh they're not there is just violent communication that's being applauded like kids chanting fight 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 on a playground which i've been in i've been in fights where that's happening and i don't I look back now, and I go, "That's that's a a, a a failure of adult supervision for that to be happening, and it's certainly a fail- failure of adults to be doing that for other adults in the context of things that that, that matter at these at these levels." So, I, I'm I don't want to pick a side in any of these factions per se. Um, I have my own opinion, and I've studied pretty rigorously and I'm definitely on the side of saying that uh if we're gonna understand this stuff it needs to be done in a in a totally different format so but because it's back big in the zeitgeist I feel like I'm probably not I'm probably doing a service and not a disservice by spending spending this time to invoke and kind of at least change the bandage on the wound maybe if that's the holistic thing that that you would be doing in a in a survival medicine situation it would be it would be applying a bandage that was done so in a way that it wouldn't be as painful and disruptive to the healing process to 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 remove the bandage and and check and possibly and clean the wound if necessary and reapply Elements to it for to assist in the healing and 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 then wrap it back up and and have it be a a holistic uh, a holistic not not necessarily uh, blissful or, or pleasant but 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 necessary and as uh, harm harm reduced as possible. So with that said, I do want to also now invoke my. My, my long-standing uh, respect and, and honor and appreciation for Charles Eisenstein. And I don't anymore in these days, in this show, I don't like to really bring up a lot of other people's names. I've decided I don't really foresee myself having guests on but i have been a show host and i've done hundreds of episodes before and in my past incarnation uh or chapter of of this life is probably <laughs> not to be not to be confusing with using that word but in in my former brand incarnation previous to this in this lifetime but a previous life chapter that i would say bracketed my 30s pretty pretty well uh i did do yeah, a show and there was a, a lot more of a spirituality element. Um, but also a lot of uh a lot of economics, a lot of technology and whatnot. And so I believe it was uh possibly yeah, I think twice. It w I think I think it was a total of two times, no no more, no less. That I uh, invited and was felt felt very grateful to have Charles Eisenstein, a thought leader, uh, in in a movement, I I would I would say that definitely sacred economics is and has been a movement, and that many other branches from his works have have been nourishing to people for people to 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 feed their own movements under whatever name, but. Certainly, that being one of the the most prolific works of his, and then even more um, dense and academic work before that, that was more appealing to me in terms of critiquing civilization and, and having a a uh, a very um, respectable and honest understanding of anarcho-primitivism, which I think is missing. is the is the to me it's the most critical missing piece of, of pretty much all of all uh, academic pursuits and the simplest way to make an argument for that is the way that one of my professors made um, the study of just anthropology which isn't in which doesn't claim to be anarcho preventivist but it is intrinsically because in it, it, it's it can't hide and it really leads with the revelation that the so-called neolithic revolution was in pretty much every measurable way except for if you were uh, in denial about the, 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 the damage that has been done to the earth and to our humanity by the progress of civilization and, 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 and technology ever since domestication it's the anthrop- it's only the anthropologists and then the anarcho-primitivists that 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 cross-pollinate between the academic anthropologists and the street fighter anarcho-primitivists and forest fighter anarcho-primitivists etc. Nature defenders, earth firsters etc. The way the simple way to to understand it was a way that was put to me in college, which where it was said. What is it that gives anthropologists a deeper perspective on humanity and a more broad perspective to draw assumptions, to make assumptions and conclusions with a broader base of, of data than any other discipline within academia? And we all scratched our heads, and then she came around and told us, well... Just let's just go one by one: humanities, sociology, political science, history, romantic language, uh, all of the, um, all of the sort of soft liberal arts, social sciences. They're bracketing their scope, their unit of analysis, their scope of of the human experience to really the historical record meaning the last 5,000-ish years of preserved records of domesticated urbanized civilized war-based and expansionistic societies fighting each other and colonizing less developed indigenous peoples around the world and building empires that's who we emulate—that's what we consider classic, and we even set our clocks based on the the logic embedded within those within that time bracket. And and the idea to me the most asinine thing that also puts that in context. So that stands alone as aha. So three million years, like Daniel Quinn and Ishmael's work, uh, that's the time frame of sampling of data and speculation about human experience where you would draw conclusions about human nature is human nature what is the nature of a laboratory rat or guinea pig going to be understood in in the laboratory of a human engineered scientific laboratory or are you going to understand the nature of the of the rat in its natural habitat so for me, the absurdity of trying to have any clue about human nature without studying humans in the wild, living in nature, living in the natural habitat, co-adapted to an environment living off the land, in the land, in a continuum of, of, um, of other species, other beings, and even other spirits, if you like, you're, you're lost. And you're clueless, and you're basically in a, uh, a, a, a in a bizarre echo chamber of of apologists for 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 technological progress. And uh, yeah, I don't want to. I, I mean, now I'm starting to to, to just get into the, the the meat of a lot of a lot of essays, but that stands alone, and that makes a solid point that point about how academia for the most part limits the scope of of the, the the research pool to of human experience and human time to saying we even say what is the year today the we don't say the year is 3 million 2023 we say the year is 2023 so by design, literally we are cut off from the imagination even of having a deeper rooted ancestry that goes back before civilization on this planet. If you think that time started at at the time of, of the birth of Christ, that's your start date and the hegemony of that worldview and paradigm has completely um strangulated the imagination of of ancestor of of our ancestry i mean you could put it a lot of different ways but 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 it's very clear if you i mean have you ever thought about that simple single fact that you live in a in a box for your mind that says that your uh your the existence of 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 what matters as far as if it was before if it was ancient basically we live in the we we call it the year 2023 and so consciously or subconsciously we think oh well you know we can fall on our face a few more times you know we're still we're still just figuring it out. I mean, technically, how many generations is that? Basically, isn't doesn't that just mean that that humanity was born kind of yesterday? So you know, whatever you know, it, we'll just we'll just we'll figure it out as we go along. But when you stretch that out and you go, whoa, we've been here for. Some people might say, the way, de- depending on how you how you um, define humanity. But let's just even be conservative, or let's be. Let's be um, uh, uh, tighten the scope as much as, as biologically, evolutionarily possible, and say two hundred thousand years that we've been quote anatomically modern, according to the human fossil record. In other words, in English, that means you could have got you could get in a time machine right now, go back in time two hundred thousand years. To a, a, a an upright walking primate, aka a hominid, aka a Homo sapiens homo sapiens, walking to earth two hundred thousand two hundred thousand years ago, and you could successfully breed with them and bring a child back to in your time machine to to uh, the, <laughs> to the present moment. I don't even want to say the year twenty twenty three. To the present moment, to the year. What what would it be two hundred thousand two thousand <laughs> twenty three I'm losing the numbers, but you get the idea and they could grow up in a totally urban hipster modernized environment and yet they would be i guess it's uh <laughs> i guess I guess you'd have to watch Encino man to realize that uh that he was he was perfectly human uh Head to toe, he just he just uh ha- had to be um, re rebranded with the with the trends and whatnot. But all of that is to say, that's a hell of a lot more life experience and a hell of a lot more embeddedness in deep time and nature in prehistory, where our brain capacity actually evolved. And we're, I would say, we're misusing it now, and we were appropriately using it then because it evolved to perceive and process and interact with and use all of its power, and I would say probably more of its power than it's being dumbed down to use now for a lot of reasons. And it, so, why doesn't that engage us more in our thinking? So that's an important point to think about. And this, the 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 we live in this box that academia reinforces and that we have this fallacy about being life being nasty, brutish and short before civilization saved us from the leviathan that is our our, our nature, that, that life, that man's state of nature is chaos, whereas I would rephrase that and say the state the state, the, the nature of man's state is chaos. But again, before getting too more into philosophy, before <laughs> introducing, getting back to, to, to this uh, issue of the state of COVID and sacred economics, and my respect for, I, I needed to spend that time because that's why I'm never going to lose respect for Char- uh, Charles Eisenstein no matter how uh, controversial of a figure he becomes and and he's he's stepping up now in in, in, in certain ways and i and i hope that uh, I i don't speculate that he will hear this i wouldn't consider us friends but i would consider us academic brothers or, or scholarly brothers or at least research and intellectually uh intellectual explorers that uh would would could always and would always enjoy um, kicking around ideas together, and so yeah, it's been an honor to feel like I can keep up with him, and 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 he respects my 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 level of um, competency to 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 speak anywhere near his level, so I, I consider him to be far far light light years advanced uh, relative to my. Development intellectually so uh, and academically and scholarly as well um, so that's a lot of respect I want to pay to him and, and really the, the, the majority of that for me is rooted in I want to see him succeed at, no matter what because he carries the payload that most people have abandoned or denied or will never encounter and the modern anarcho-primitivist thinkers and philosophers the ones that I was trained by and that i still look up to and that i still learn from on a on a weekly basis um john Zerzim namely being my the most um influential of them all alive and certainly of my lifetime and who opened the door to me through book through compilation books like against civilization that introduced me to a number a vast array of perspectives spanning various cultures and and and, and, genders and, and even. Um, well, of course, walks of life, but even even uh time periods and what not just that's the starting point against civilization if you if you're curious, but nowhere else in the in the the talking head um realm do I hear a solid understanding, a foundational core understanding of anarcho-primitivism that informs whatever is else is coming up in conversation where, you know, obviously there's the hardcore extremists and I had had been one of them for many years. Now it's a little bit more subtle. But um and i wouldn't consider him yeah i don't consider him an anarcho primitivist he's just somebody who's actually read anarcho primitivism and isn't in denial about it <laughs> so to me that's that's a step forward that's a step in the right direction if more people who rise to prominence intellectually as philosophers at least have that badge that merit badge that's to me very exciting and important so i can't thank him enough for 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 having that background and I believe it will continue to inform and evolve in its own way and no one has a patent on it, no one has a trademark and I can't control anybody's application of it. I'm just glad to know he's out there, it's out there and it's doing its thing and now that importance of that to me has been worth spending this time to expound upon that um, but where I'm where I'm invoking him in this in, in in this uh COVID and epidemiological popular epidemiology episode that I'm doing right now, um it really is a uh an embellishment or a, a um an inspiration or a riffing off of, of his concept of sacred economics and um, the way that I want to honor him, but also kind of, um, what, what would the word be? Um, do a bit of sparring from just my own, my own position of, um, testing and applying the tools that some of the tools he's cultivated and see whether or not I have, I have, uh, trained well with them to where, where they will be recognizable to him as a, as a fruit of his, of his labor to train me in a sense, even not, not personally, not as a, not not as not as though he's like been a private mentor, but I do feel like it's important that all while well, all of us are are who are creating these intellectual spaces doing these kinds of lectures really and interviews we're 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 hope i think we're hoping to uh work through some of our own thoughts of course, but also equip people and tool people with intellectual tools where they can they can think for themselves and research for themselves. So to me, what's empowering about I try to I try to incorporate a lot of his sentiments about avoiding dehumanizing language and avoiding the tribalization of in-group and out-group and and allowing there for there to be nuance and 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 to hold contradictory ideas at the same time and analyze them. Um, Compassionately and not just objectively, but with a heart and a mind, and and just be very deep and very open and, and thinking. And, and he always affirms that for me. A lot, of, a lot of things like that. Um, for me, where where I where I left off in a conversation with him, the last uh, what the last conversation I think we had on my previous show was about. Strategies in 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 the middle of the pandemic of what we thought things how we thought things were going to turn out as far as masking, as far as how people might adapt to the 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 potentially ongoing threat of COVID vir- uh, COVID virus uh, mutations variants, and then possibly. Just a new era, a new era that looks dystopian in the sense that we that 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 we're people. Well, some people will call it the era of pandemics, the pandemic pandemic scene. I guess you could call it. it uh, probably been said before, but but he was very. I was I I would say the 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 um, the point that we left that we that we, we didn't we didn't have a disjuncture but the point where we were we were sort of coming to a close and 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 envisioning a bit on what the future might look like and now we're kind of in the time frame of the future where where if we looking back on that conversation now I would say if we talked again, I would say, well, here's my assessment. I'd be curious what you think, just referencing back what we had talked about. And we have, I would say, a sacred container for our conversation because we kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge that there aren't that many other people out there who are not extreme underground anarcho-primitivists in their echo chamber who have kind of branched out beyond that. Who still have the ability to communicate from that that potency of a critique of domestication and civilization, and a deep awareness of how how um, tricks. I, I mean, this would be my words. I don't think he would say these words because they might be they might be construed as demeaning. But I would say I'll be bold enough for me personally to say that. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a There's a great disservice being done to all those who are who are um futurists and 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 technophiliacs if you will that they're not given a standard curriculum that teaches them about the the costs of affluence uh the 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 price of progress uh they don't know about they only think about the myth of the noble savage and they don't think about stone age economics or agriculture the worst mistake humanity ever made etc etc all of these points of contention that have been explored within anarcho-primitivism and anthropology but since we share that i can always kind of kind of um ping that or, or query that and 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 frame any moment with him or with any other person with that, that has that training to say how do you how, how would you if you were if you were uh, obliged to through the lens of anarcho primitivism make an assessment about the pandemic scene how would that maybe adjust Some sentiments, and I'm gonna, and I don't, I don't, there's something I wouldn't call it a blind spot, but I would say, I mean, I would say that it's a, that I'm not going to assert this upon him or his followers or his network or anything. But if he were ever to ask me my opinion now about my assessment of having myself caught up on the, the archive of the conspirituality podcast, where those, Gentlemen, really have kind of—I um, don't want to say bullied him, but but uh, I don't think they have the same reverence for him that I do. And I'm not just starstruck or a cult follower or Kool-Aid drinker. I would love to have a conversation with all of them, with the with the conspiratoriality folks, with with Charles Eisenstein, and and really let let John Zerzan be the the man of the hour. He's the real elder of the tribe. And he would say things that I think would give us all um a uh would stir us all up a bit, but for me if i were to um the main the main thing that is relevant about covid now and about all this is that is that my so so I'm so yes. If he asked me the question, and I had to, and I was defending him and referencing our previous conversation and and answering a, a question, and I and and there was that panel. If there was the panel of John Zerzan, the conspirituality folks, Charles Eisenstein, and me, and I was asked the question. To what what is a anarcho-primitivist lens on the COVID pandemic now in twenty twenty-three where a lot of the dust has settled, and we really saw how a lot of the different um approaches were were successful, unsuccessful, corrupt, uncorrupt, pure, impure, etc. etc. It's not totally over, and I'm the least of all people in denial of that. But we're at a, a point where we can, if we're alive, and we can breathe and speak and think, unlike a lot of people who can't, who are still alive, but, but we're affected by it. We have a little bit of a, we're positioned to kind of reflect and then decide how we want to proceed and what how we would want to advise and operate in our lives. So to me, the thing that I I think is so important and critical is this idea of of an acknowledgement that anybody who who is um, who has studied so-called Paleolithic or primitive or first peoples, indigenous cultures, cultures that lived in smaller, more tight-knit communities. And if you wanted to be really strict about it, it would be pre-agricultural, nomadic, foraging, hunting and gathering, fishing, some gardening, bands of 25 to 50 people. If you have no clue what I'm talking about when I say that, and you can only imagine the Kung San and Gods Must Be Crazy, or maybe you've seen some films of Aborigines, or maybe you're having flashbacks of Nat Nat Geo magazines or something like that. Really, there's not a lot of popular reference points for band-level nomadic hunter-gatherer societies. Certainly, there are very very few 100% foragers left alive on the planet. Every once in a while they'll say they've found an undiscovered Amazonian tribe that was never domesticated and speaks no Spanish and has just been in retreat from the conquistadors for hundreds of years and barely poked out. And usually they end up being the ones that if they do ever get bumped into by the loggers and the farmers and the the government, even the aid workers, they're going to end up Having a 1492 mass die-off experience, unfortunately, it's the most heartbreaking thing. So there are organizations that I I've, that I feel do great work um, to protect the last remaining uh, indigenous or last um, uh, remaining endangered first peoples. But if you so that's if you can acknowledge that that was the the mode of subsistence that all of our ancestors lived before the last 5000 years of urbanized civilization meaning life in cities and then for the 5000 years before that of of neolithic farming and population density increase before we started building walls and building armies and building empires that's about 10,000 years but uh, but that's 1% or less of the entire timeline of human history depending on how you how you scope it like i said earlier but anybody who is aware of that knows a few things about paleolithic epidemiology which is that whatever bug you might encounter or be exposed to that might be endemic to your region that you roam you will be in such a small relative number within your band of 25 to 50 people that whatever you encounter even if it's the most deadly lethal thing uh, virus or bacteria or fungus or protozoa or other form of parasite on any scale, you encounter that pathogen and you either adapt to it and cope with it and it, and, and, and its endemicity is a part of your, your genome or your biome or your genotype or whatever. I don't know. I'm not the master of all those words, but basically it either lives in your DNA, it lives in your blood, it lives in your saliva, it lives in your water supply... And it just cycles through, and eventually you become relatively adapted to it. Or in more extreme cases, things like sickle cell anemia evolve to address the ever pre- present pressure of, of of malaria. And but what's interesting about studying tropical disease and disease that is um, survived in with populations who are don't have modern medicine let's say um, what well what tends to happen is that uh in that absence of high speed fast global travel networks there's isolation of 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 different pathogenic loads and your your culture wandering and roaming with little, if any, contact with other people outside of maybe a cluster of bands and it scales up into different different groupings, different sizes of groupings. But for the most part, I mean, it's depending on where you are in the history of the world, there were far less people on the planet and they were far less densely packed and they lived in... A, and moved in a pattern that did not expose them to the, the diseases that you get from domesticating animals and the diseases that you get from the piling up of human and animal waste and all of the insect, rodent and parasitic vectors that seize upon those mountains of waste the way that that pollutes water, the way that, that pollutes groundwater the way that those nutrients are poorly recycled without systems such as permaculture and really early forms of horticulture that, that did not displace the natural um, the natural ecosystem but were harmonious with it, we created a lot of disease and then now we're living with it and now we're spreading it faster and faster and faster and we're engaging in world wars which is spreading it into war zones and then feeding it back into war-starved and war-diseased populations with depressed and traumatized immune systems. So really, the arc of civilization has been the best thing that ever happened to viruses that otherwise would have been locked into place by the limited scope of movement and the limited population size of our ancestral hunting and gathering foraging band societies. That is the quickest and simplest way that I can express a thesis about an anarcho-primitivist perspective or or lens on, on... to to, to uh, add something to the table of discourse that is that has become uh, anything goes, popular epi- ep- epidemiology. So, if anybody, if whatever else, whatever conspiracy theorists, 5G, QAnon, Fauci, uh, CDC, WHO, globalists, if. all all of the people from those epist- uh, epistemic um, positions, they've certainly made th- they've certainly um, been very loud, and that's not even scratching the surface of all of the different maga and whatever else. I mean everyone's got their tribal dug into position uh, unshakable. Group think, hot take, snarky, whatever kind of closed minded case closed analysis of not just COVID, but now all of epidemiology because now all the vaccines are in question and all of the more so than ever. Um, and I'm not saying to be uncritical, but I'm just saying now there's a Yeah, there's a... Well, now popular epidemiology is something that uh, has a lot of different um, warring factions, and I don't hear a lot of people, and it was only very recently that I heard anybody um, say that as a primitivist, as anarcho-primitivist that they were, and as someone who came from... um, psychedelic shamanistic sh- ceremonial communities and and, and like, ayahuasca experience traditions and and even kind of the burning man scene is what i what i would gather but people people of us th- those of us who have been listening to pachamama through the plant medicine and the ceremonies whether or not we were intellectually anarcho primitivists or 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 as activists kind of guerrilla eco warriors living like Ewoks defending the tree sit villages and whatnot just the people from the cities who do yoga and go to the Amazon to, to, to be a part of, of uh, ayahuasca ceremonies they were getting the downloads and were aware for some time going back to even around 2012 that we were in a state of crisis so it wasn't it was sort of We were we were already bracing ourselves for The collapse of civilization, for the collapse of public health, for the collapse of 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 the economy, for World War III, because of how out of balance, Koyanisqatsi, we have been in these intellectual, academic, activist, spiritual communities and traditions. We've been preparing for these times, even preppers. The more Certainly the more um the more ecologically and spiritually uh informed of the preppers. I mean I'm, I'm just gonna say the word hippie because that could lead you in the direction of just people who are permafried and really not relevant and not participating in much. But the best of what the hippies Developed, which is a lot of the back to the earth homesteading permaculture. So I say that word with reverence, but I don't want to use it too much because most people would have a a derisive attitude towards it. But my point is that it's very important for me to be in a warrior stance intellectually and to fight in the arena of discourse, even if it's me just shadow boxing with myself the way I am right now, but I know that I was trained to know better and therefore I have no excuse. And so what I want to not be is an enabler and an apologist of arrogance and hubris towards towards pandemic viral outbreaks I want to question and say take a step back now if you understand if anybody understands Even just what I said, if it's if, if 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 you go and fact check me and do the research and read the essays that I, I mentioned, read the authors that I mentioned, read the books that I mentioned, take some courses and look at the science and come to your own conclusion. Don't take my word for it. But if you were to do that, spend. Uh, some of your life to do that to get to a point to where whether 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 you decide that I'm full of it or I'm I have pretty sound I've I've done a pretty good job um, articulating the, the, these these uh, what what becomes axiomatic after you after you do this this study um, then you were probably you you were probably be able to intelligently disagree or may, or, or essentially agree with me and then be able to help me uh, refine an articulation of this notion that the appropriate way with this understanding of how far askew we are from balance in population and balance with the earth and balance with parasites and pathogens and the way that we tread on the planet, and the way that we travel, the rate of how motorization of travel, and the burning of fossil fuels, and even the even the uh, the, the mining of of uh, rare earth minerals to make batteries—that all of this acceleration is way out of balance. Cannot be justified for anything other than the service of king making and empire making and billionaire making and we're all so such sycophants to that that parade of billionaires that we're along for the ride and meanwhile you're you, you burst into flames and become a charred crippled debilitated barely walking corpse barely able to sign on to a class action lawsuit against the battery-powered electric vehicle paradigm or you end up dying of COVID because you couldn't stop yourself from going on vacation and being a tourist in a place that maybe you're maybe you just weren't adapted to do well in period you're not really an appropriate transplant into that biome and the and and the vaccines that they make you get to travel there maybe aren't even going to be enough Maybe you will die from the local uh waterborne foodborne parasites that everybody local gets gets really adapted to. That happened to me uh the the first and only time I I, I went to Mexico, came back and probably was the closest to death I've ever been. I'm not saying I'm not being xenophobic, I'm not saying travel is bad, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm just saying Knowing what I know, knowing better, I'm going to say to myself that at some point I'm going to say, okay, time out. I can no longer take another step knowing what I know and having cognitive dissonance about the reality that we are way overpopulated, we are way out of balance, And we are setting ourselves up for more compounding, catastrophic, epidemiological risk and failure of public health on, on a global scale. And if back to normal is pretending like COVID didn't exist and changing nothing about how we operate as a global interconnected soup... Of infectious cellular tissue that can barely move an inch without being sprayed and spewed upon from the spittle of somebody on public transportation or somebody in at the DMV or anywhere where you're bottlenecked in public. <laughs> the last place that they will have that they could possibly drag me is jury duty. And that's I mean, I just think about all the places where or jail, of course. I mean, that's why I'm trying to stay out of trouble, you know. But we are all one, and not in the, 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 the spiritual, uh, loving, interconnected, high vibe way that you would that you would ascertain that from Rastafarian lyrics of reggae, or or from Eastern traditions, or. Any tradition that acknowledges the interconnectedness of the web of life, yes, we're all one, but that also means more so than ever epidemiologically we're all one, so we either figure out how to take care of each other, which it seems like most a lot of people don't don't care to do. Um, I would like for us to acknowledge the fact that uh we're now moving. Faster ahead with less caution and and greater risk, not just of a COVID uh, 19 mutation and new wave, but anything now. What we have proven as a global human society in the modern world, as of the last few years, is that we would rather. We would rather suffer and die and and be and be complicit in causing the suffering and death of others, than be at all um, prudent about the fact that we are living way beyond our the Earth's comfortable limits of our population, and that the lifestyle that we live, spanning the globe, burning fossil fuels and using rare earth mine battery energy so that we can just trample and steamroll and party and be tourists everywhere and do business trips and whatever it is like we're all back we're back to all of it as if we learned nothing and i don't want to be a casualty of that war and because worst of all i don't have the luxury and privilege to say i didn't know better i can't say that i never was warned that we are making a mistake by having wet markets that we're making a mistake by making it easy to travel the globe and not really doing deep decontamination of ourselves we learn nothing from 1492 the way we live now the way we expose each other to the pathogens that are endemic to all the different areas of the world if we can Go anywhere at any time and have no air gapping because of how inconvenient that would be for us and how ratcheted up the global economy is. There is, to me, only one ethical way to conduct transportation. Given that we know now, we know what we what we what we didn't want to that we didn't want to find out, just how vulnerable the system is how vulnerable we are. And if, you, if you're if you under your fifth COVID infection and you're starting to wonder if you're losing IQ points and losing your ability to stand up straight and your ability to walk up a flight of stairs, then maybe what would you be reasoning to yourself right now? What would you trade if you were to have long COVID right now and not know if it would ever end and it because it hasn't ended for years now and you've lost everything in your life, your potential to live your dreams, your potential to play in the activities that you played in that you trained for your whole life, the the potential to pursue your career that was intellectually based because now you're you can't remember your last thought or what you were going, what you're going to try to do. Your life is crumbling, and you're now suicidal. And you're in a state of mind where you're asking yourself, "What would I? What would I?" Bargaining with God and the devil. What would I do? What could I to, do to turn the clock back and to have an opportunity to have thought differently, to have done anything differently? What if you? What? What if? What if the? What if an answer to that question would have been? Read the book Ishmael by Daniel Quinn the month before the pandemic set in, you would have had an opportunity to be speaking not from a place of being high and mighty or being self-righteous, just being what's the word, informed consent. To me, without an anthropological background, you can't have you can't have you have a you have a conformed consent. To modernity, in the absence of a of an anthropological understanding, which is very, shall we say, moderate and very mainstream, and not that controversial or radical, or you could take it to a more more of an extreme radicalism, which anarcho primitivism is. But I, if someone said to me, <laughs> I mean, that there's the people. I'm not now. What to me where that laugh comes from is that if someone said to me now, man, I'm starting to question whether I have informed consent to to be a participant in the public, densely populated, urbanized, global world of. What, I don't need to travel to be exposed to all the pathogens from all over the world because the fact that I'm urbanized means that by default I'm exposed. So even if I don't, even if I say, "Hey, I'm not traveling," you know, I'm not, I'm not spreading disease. I'm just doing doing me right here. Well, you are in a soup of pathogens coming from all around the world, and I love foreigners. I love traveling. I love foreign places. I'm not at all xenophobic. I'm very multicultural, I'm very, I honor diversity and I'm not isolationist or whatever in terms of national policy or, or whatnot. Certainly I was in an anti-globalization movement, but that's a different, that's a different story. But the people who are maybe now starting to wonder if they had been, they're fools that have been lied to and tricked in their and their understanding of the the myth of progress and they're starting to say to themselves you know what i think maybe the city is actually a form of enslavement and it's actually a death sentence and if it doesn't kill me it's going to debilitate me either from being exposed to random acts of violence from the police or from gangs or from uh rabid homeless people um all due respect, because I am and have been a homeless person most of my life, but rabid homeless people, if if you will. Uh, dangerous, endangering, hostile, violent. The city is a... As, as hip and fun and as many opportunities as there are to be stimulated intellectually and to experience the fruits of other cultures and have uh, fine dining and different types of cuisine and go to the hipster this and the hipster that and experience culture and to be cultured uh, there's a price to pay and those of us who are against civilization and there are, few, there are many of us that still live in cities because we're slaves to the economy and I, I'm one of the few who, who, have, who, have, who have been able to break free at least for now I'm free enough for now to have an to to have a, 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 a an outside perspective and not and also not be a hypocrite I'm hypocritical by using the internet using technology in using batteries to power my solar system indeed but I'm far less hypocritical now being this degree removed from civilization but I will say this this is the 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 Bob Marley I mean um Jacob Marley to Ebenezer Scrooge sentiment that I'm that I'm giving I mean maybe channeling the voice trying to channel the voice of the covid dead and the long covid who can barely speak or who or whose voices are so muted <laughs> because what really what 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 what's clickbaity and what causes the the tweet storms and what it gets all of the sucks up all the all the attention sucks up all the o- oxygen no pun intended is these is the billionaire uh bravado um, COVID denying, downplaying, etc. perversely incentivized profiteers who want to sell you their cure for COVID and make sure that you go to their gym and that they never shut down because you're weak. If you bow to the libs and, and are, uh, a, uh, a bootlicking, um, mask wearing, uh, you're 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 a, a, a feminized earth you're de- emasculated in that form of weakness and the 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 tough guy strong man archetype that that swept the nation and 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 imperiled the world that's still resounding from very very uh uh crude, intellectual folks, shall I say. I think you know what I'm talking about. And very sophisticated and very educated scientists even, so they've got credentials and everything, so I don't think it's a clear red-blue distinction, per se, myself, but I will say that, uh, yeah. There are people who got their lives destroyed, who are suffering, there are people who were killed, there are people who are still at the higher risk and of course, the numbers are shaking out. It's it's the it's the white privileged hubristic people who step over their dying servants and the home, dying homeless people to get their to get their uh, uh, their expensive coffee uh, on the way in or out of the yoga studio to go up to the corporate job and. chase chase, uh affection from the billionaire ceo or whatever those are the people who can afford to take whatever drug du jour is going to minimize the pain of their covid infection and they'll be able to stave off the reality of being brought down by it or the side effects of of the The ramifications of the collapse of civilization as we know it, because of it, whatever whatever, to whatever extent, yeah, it's it's whitey that's buffered, and so I'm myself. Yes, full disclosure, I'm a poor white trash whitey. (laughs) I would say I'm 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 in I'm in league with the uh, uh, GED uh, having college dropout below minimum wage poverty line barely having having any net worth in my 40s yes i'm i'm in solidarity with with the the lower the working class and the lower class and however my skin is 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 not so-called of color um but I'm I'm white so I can call out my my other white folk and say yeah it's a it's a sad state of affairs not a lot has changed a lot of very dehumanizing and and despicable behavior has been uh, has been has been engaged in a lot of conduct that's uh, unbecoming and and I'm 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 still very terrified of public health, deformed consent, uh, conformed consent, to just go back to normal and, and, and try to forget about everything. So yes, for those who are who are un, uh, who have who who might wonder about how is there any other uh, epistemological approach. To looking at this situation that isn't what's been presented through the the power elite of social media and all of the followers that they have and just the group mentality and the stampede of of lemmings in one meme wave versus another is there anything that's missing if if someone asked me because they're curious and they would like a maybe a fresh perspective, I would say yes my feeling of what it would take to have informed consent to engage in the public would be an understanding of how our ancestors lived how they made it this far and survived all kinds of different pathogens and evolved and adapted but it was but it was never an existential Everyone is at risk all at the same time. It was decentralized epidemics, not pandemics, except for certain, um, which I'll get into when I when I, I, I let go of this uh, now episode onto itself intro, but I'm going to go ahead and keep it bundled because if you feel like it, you can pause and come back to it later but i just want to bracket this sentiment because this is an important moment to bring up what i'm bringing up and so the 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 following hour after this and i wrap this up right now is going to get into um more, uh, me, more, more scientific, more quote unquote, fact-based analysis of things that I am kind of more like a review of some material that I've studied and not so much of a polemic, a rhetorical, philosophical exploration where I'm 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 going stream of consciousness that's that, th- that this feels like it is an appropriate uh, opening act if you will like bands playing at a concert so if you enjoy my thoughts and my analysis and you feel like it has value then I hope you enjoy this was the warm up this was the local band warming it up being the local support and then now the headliner is going to be me uh sharing what I recorded previously um when I was really kind of worked up and it's it's a little bit more of a hope you find it entertaining I was certainly it was a full moon and when I'm as I've been editing it and and looking and and listening back on it I'm I, I say yeah I was definitely definitely in a in a full moon mood but maybe it w- it was helpful because the material is so tragic and heartbreaking it, it allowed me to bring a little bit of of hilarity uh, energy to it to make it easier to process and digest but I think it's really uh, yeah I, I, I was really excited about the material and I was excited to share my thoughts on it so I hope you enjoy it and I'm going to transition over to that now thank you and enjoy the rest of the show there is a pbs short 10-minute uh production online called i think it's called what is it uh the the pandemic that lasted 15 million years okay i think is what it was and I and I had watched that before, and I watched it again today because I think I started. I think I searched for um, like ancient pandemics. I wanted to understand fossil DNA of viruses embedded in our genome, and then I I I I, I found that, and then I wanted to watch it today again before this uh, sort of like um, COVID reunion party that I'm having, like post COVID, everyone it's all like over for everybody. But maybe. Maybe you're just, um, uh, maybe it's been just long enough away from being oversaturated with COVID information that you're actually somewhat kind of um, COVID curious again or whatever. So here you are listening to this. Well, and what I did to get in in, in the spirit of this COVID uh, reunion costume theme party or whatever was, you know, did a little bit of... uh, Brushing up on some some links that I had saved from over the over my studies, and one of them was that that ancient um, or the fifteen million year pandemic. The reminder that there is more fossilized viral junk DNA in our DNA sequence than actual genes encoding us. So there's more dead broken malware in every cell in your body than there is code. Running your body that's actually legitimate white hat, if you will, code running. To me, that that was the funniest thing now that I've got more more computer science and, and hacking experience now. What if you download an operating system and it's 10 gigabytes, 50 megabytes or something are, are the actual operating system code that you want and the rest of it is all bloatware and malware and not even functioning malware, but broken malware that doesn't even boot up? Actually, it came to my mind. I was like, oh, all of this latent recombinant uh, viral DNA that can be like sort of phantom reactivated in different scenarios where different code snippets from different viruses, trigger it to come alive out of its literal, like zombie uh, mummified state. The mummy vo- fossil viral DNA comes alive because it gets it gets um, unlocked by this uh, this new little snippet of a viral code that happens because you get exposed to something that's actually part of um, what's what's being studied with COVID is how it's uh, bumping into this some of this. This fossilized viral dna i may be butchering it. i'm getting i'm 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 going to stop there cuz i'm going to butcher the science but the uh yeah th- that's humbling to think about and because i think about like man you could be following all the rules of public health you could be wearing all the layers of masks and all the ppe and yeah, i'm i'm not i'm not going to say anything about the different um boosters anything like that but you could you could do you could do everything and go go uh, uh, above and beyond the call of duty on all of the things that were ever recommended. Even when they were recommending several masks at once without saying, like, just wear an N95. N95 should have been what we all had all along. That's me on a soapbox. But they will say, wear two cloth masks. And I'm not going to say that's bad advice. I'm just going to say, wow, wow, it's just those are one of the, the things that uh anyway not going to go back to that but you could have tried to do everything right and still still have another thing coming because what about the vectors of wildlife the bird flu from the sky coming that it's getting that's gotten all over the planet now and you can't i can't I can't blame that on modern civil. I know it's exacerbated by global warming. It's exacerbated by modern civilization. But I wanted to check myself and my own bias. I'm like, dude, you can't just blame everything on industrialism, capitalism, civilization. Yeah, it's easy to say that's the root of all evil. And it's actually, if you read the green history of the world and guns, germs, and steel, things like that, you'll realize domestication, animal domestication, war, civilization, colonization, even in uh in Bram Stoker's Dracula the film you hear Anthony Hopkins say the history of civilization is also the history of civilization something like that yeah it, there there's uh i mean endless opportunities for me to be correct in blaming and pointing the finger at w- the the warrior cult of dominator society civilization empire etc cetera, etc cetera, for for spreading disease for Gain of function, hacking diseases, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, but I can't add it to a limit. And where I will have to check myself, and why I wanted to do that research is to go. But what about ancient pandemics? What about pre-modern epidemiology? What about um, pre-civilized and pre-human, even pre-hominid mass die-off events? And so that's when I started looking at this and finding this. It's not just about saying, yeah, you you should rewild and go feral and join the wild because that's where you're safe from viruses. No, that's not exactly, it doesn't really work like that. To some extent, you'll be safe from the crazy, erratic, violent behavior of people who are infected with viruses, but you will not be necessarily less susceptible to pandemics because, there could be pandemics of all kinds that any time could leap over and 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 get in you and kill you so it's not that simple but so i wanted to shout that out that was from my notes something to bring to the party here <laughs> yeah it helps to put this all in context in a way that you don't get to blame the government you don't get to blame big pharma you don't get to blame anything you understand the 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 pre-history of studying the pandemics before before you could blame them on humans that's interesting and that puts a lot of things in context and that kind of just gives you more i would say for me what it gives me is more awe and reverence and respect for nature and makes me feel very small does not make me feel like oh yeah i need to punch somebody for wearing a mask and i need to have bravado about how everybody is um a bootlicker because they're following the cdc guidelines or whatever it's like no we were already small enough relative to the forces of wild nature and now we are even more pathetic when we think we're protected and sheltered by antibiotics and public health measures and all of the public health and hygiene theater that modern society is, vis a vis the 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 truth and the reality that the epidemiological wilderness, the jungle that we actually make it worse. You know, we would we would be better off just living in the jungle by the laws of the jungle. We would be better off in so many ways, and we make it worse for ourselves. And we and we, we, we trick ourselves to think that we've made it easier on ourselves. In fact. Maybe we have by some dimensions, yeah you can keep people on on life support longer at what cost at what 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 cost to the to, to individual person's finances their family estate and at what cost to all the animals that have been tested on at what cost to all of the energy that ha, that's required to keep the lights on etc 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 the externalities of keeping someone on life support yes great you want to prize for proving it's possible pretty much make a a bubble like a, a, a cyborg bubble out of anybody at any stage of their life to basically completely buffer them from the wild whatsoever and 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 make an industry out of that so be it there there's a time and place for everything i'm not gonna be anti- um hospital whatever i don't need to go there but i will say yeah safer in the wild like statistically speaking for the most part unless you are in certain areas where tropical diseases are going to be you know where, where where a lot of your life is going to be in a balance of um of, of of having to to try to risk mitigate tropical diseases other than that it's safe safer in the wild that's going to be my that's my hashtag safer in the wild bye you know what i mean that's pretty much it and but i'm gonna think about okay i better better know how to identify how cute those birds are they're walking in circles and acting drunk no don't go try to feed them and have them drool and shit on you actually avoid them things like that i'm gonna be paying attention things like the 15 million year pandemic or whatever and be humbled by that another thing moving on the other thing i wanted to point to was this documentary produced by the smithsonian uh which uh the smithsonian something whatever it's called but uh is called i think the exact title is virus hunting cave to covid i think is what the title is and it was of all the things i consumed about virology taking this virology course where they talk about the most uh the most prolific virus is one that actually lives in bell peppers and it's in the most of it's in most of us at all times it's in our waste stream it's in our passes right through us and it's the most ubiquitous virus in the human population is this vegetable bell pepper virus you know like random things like that you learn studying studying virology or other things i've learned if there weren't viruses then The ocean, there would be no atmosphere and there would be no balance of life on earth because the ocean would be this like um, algae sludge that you could walk across because if there wasn't this balance of power amongst the the, the viruses Bursting cells and keeping checks and balances within populations. If viruses weren't hard at work protecting us from ourselves and from it just rampant population growth of everything yeah you would be able to walk across the ocean but you couldn't breathe because there would be no atmosphere at that point life on earth would not last for more than however many hours or days or minutes or whatever if viruses were not out there doing their thankless job of keeping our populations in check and i'm not gonna get into any kind of darwinian social darwinism anything with that not gonna go anywhere near any of that but I will say, oh yeah, viruses—you know—keeping the ocean fit. That sounds good to me. Okay, uh, yeah, understanding things like that, uh, being grateful that viruses like the one that 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 was that comes from the bell pepper It just kind of flushes right through us and doesn't even affect us, but it's just doing its thing. Um, and just having a sense about like, what does it mean to live in a in a virally to be informed about. The fact that that's this—it's not just something you can make enemies out of. You can't be at war with viruses, period. And and what the reason I'm what, what this is driving from for me is that is that documentary with the Smithsonian, where they, they document this um, this subculture of virology researchers who are working with bats at great risk to themselves and also paradoxically at great risk to becoming vectors of the diseases they're trying to study and prevent how tragically ironic would that be if you're trying to protect humanity from unknown viruses that that uh, you can o- that that only come from bats but that you can only study by going into the, 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 like i mean you gotta wonder like maybe you just should have left it alone and just but whatever i'm not going to pass judgment i'm going to say they do what they do and what's redemptive to me because i would rather say don't go and mess with that you don't belong there you will probably without all that gear you will probably drop dead within 10 feet of that cave for a lot of reasons so maybe just don't that's to me like whatever i'm a luddite i'm an epidemiological luddite in some sense but that doesn't that doesn't mean i don't want people to figure out the reasons for why we should wash our hands between surgeries and delivering babies and why we shouldn't throw our fecal matter and our urine out the window onto the street (laughs) okay if it takes people studying bats in caves at their own risk potentially risking spreading a new virus onto the entire planet. If that's what it takes for people to be, to be for there to be law, lo- well, I'm going to say laws, but for, if that's what it takes for people to discover and learn that there are natural laws of biology to where we would want to be humbled and do things like, yeah, have, uh, you know, wash hands and things like that. I guess that's the cost. I guess that's the trade-off. But what's redemptive to me personally about that, although I, in a perfect world it wouldn't be necessary, what was redemptive to me, which is so mind-blowing that I never heard from anybody else, and certainly you would never hear in a million years from any COVID minimizer or denier. And that was, to me, the heart of the heart of the heart of this whole story. If I were to dream up a Stephen King plotline, the heart of this story would probably be like one of the one of the characters would be one of these virus-hunting bat spelunkers, bat cave spelunkers, who is like, just, they're just like nerdy scientists, and they've got a heart of gold, and they're the one who tries to warn and teach humanity about the beauty and the mystery of the bat. And here's the, the wisdom teaching of the bat in the bat cave that this mystic bat nerd enthusiast explorer that everybody bullied and beat up on and had the called four eyes and whatever was treated like uh cory hayman as lucas call him leukoplakia, whatever but that is the character who steals everybody's heart in the end in the arc of the story because they're the ones who against all odds and against all of the rejection by girls and beatings by jocks you know rejections by the cheerleaders and beatings by the chocks you know at the end the entomologist the plant geek the science geek whatever that lucas was for example i'm leaning on that a little bit hopefully you can enjoy that if you if you're with me on that but even if not the nerd scientist who who saves the soul of humanity because they transmit and translate the the wisdom teaching of the heart of the bat and the bat cave this is the wisdom teaching that never came from anywhere else in all my studies and it came only to me from this one documentary so I'm shouting it out but what that what that teaching was from the words of this I don't know how many decades that they had been devoted to this but they were yeah I don't remember the name I'm not going to say the name but you can look I think I cited the title correctly and you will know exactly who I'm talking about he is the one who tells you this story that gives that is like the the thing that would save and redeem the soul of humanity after all of this chaos and confusion this Lord of the Flies meltdown that we're in the thing that would make us come to our senses and put down our put down our weapons in this like descent into lord of the flies over freaking masks and conspiracy theories the redemptive moment that comes from the heart of the bat cave is this that the reason that bats are able to be these reservoirs of so many viruses in fact most of the most of the the covid or most of the um most of the respiratory the, the novel coronaviruses all of the the, coronavirus, the novel coronaviruses that have hit the world in recent history from, Sar, from SARS-1 to MERS to... I'm, I'm, I, don't, I can't enumerate it like, um, uh, like it's off the back of my hand. I don't have that level of um, mastery of it. But, but what you get humbled by and what you're taught is that there's something to learn. There's something mystical, magical that we need to be paying attention to about bats and why it is, why it is that bats... Um, are at once our the greatest threat to us but also the greatest teachers and the greatest saviors of us if we learn the bat way and we understand that nature bats last in this and with we live by this wisdom almost like in the gremlins you know if you live by the teachings of the of the discipline of coexistence with mogwais and gremlins, then you don't suffer the consequences, but you have to be disciplined and vigilant against your own weakness. And so this is the bat teaching. Yes, they get to be these carriers and these reservoirs of all of these highly lethal viruses that would just decimate any other mammal. And what gives them that power if I were to write, like, this children's book sort of narrative about it? Right now, I'm not going to tell you. Just guess. Why is it? Is it because they are they have powers from the devil? Is it because we, we, we think that they're evil because there's vampire bats? And, like, they sort of have this mystique of being associated with horror and and the dark side and halloween and all that stuff because of vampire bats and dracula what if dracula was the christ archetype right what if that was the big surprise and i think this is this this was this is a big surprise what you thought was the monster all along was actually the savior and, and because of this so did you Write it down. Did everybody write it down, come up with their answers? What did you what did you guess? What was your answer? What is the magical power, the magical gift that makes it possible for the bats to be carriers of all these diseases that will be lethal to every other mammal, but that they are able to somehow be unaffected by? You give up? I give I give up, I give up. This is what it is. It's so amazing, it's so glorious and beautiful and majestic that it 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 literally it literally brings tears to my eyes like how the nectar of this painful medicine for humanity is kicking and screaming not to have one taste of this medicine that would save. Your soul. <laughs> and then, because it was going to, because you were going to have to go into that bat cave to find out. But the nectar of that wisdom is actually, but this is what it is. Why? Why? On earth, what is the science behind how bats can be riddled with viruses that would wipe any other mammal out. (laughs) This is it. They have evolved through the pathway of evolution to being a flying mammal, a warm-blooded mammal that flies they have evolved their entire physiology. Every cell on their body has evolved the capacity to withstand temperatures because of the energy released, the kinetics of the release of energy and friction and force of them flying creates so much heat that their body had to evolve on from every tissue to every cell had to be able to survive and sustain and be resistant to temperatures that would kill any other mammal Way beyond it. I don't remember exactly what the highest temperatures are or what the average temperature is But if you think about that, oh, I had never thought about that. Okay, so let me finish the Let me, let me uh, that's that's kind of still a cliffhanger. So what does that mean? What are the implications of that? Okay? Yeah, okay They they're they're flying mammals They get real hot In order to fly real hot. They had to evolve to not die from the heat of flying Otherwise, they would not have never flown. Okay, that's evolution. Okay, well, there's a lot of um, uh, misfits along in that scrapyard of experimentation to get that right. Well, they got it right, and some of them are very well. I mean, in their niche, they're 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 like very well adapted. They're not like hanging by a thread. They're doing quite well, and have been for a long time. So it got figured out. That balance got figured out. <laughs> Be a flying mammal with. Generating tons of heat, and so what does that what does that mean for us? And how does that affect what we know about viruses? Well, what does your body do to kill a virus? That you can guess. I know you can guess that right now if you try. What is the what is it? What is it, what are the symptoms of a cold or a flu? Runny nose, sore throat, coughing. Tiredness, aching joints, nausea, headaches, dizziness. What am I leaving out? Anyone? What's probably one of the most un- undeniably debilitating things that we, we, that we fear the most, even more than having to, to, to throw up, to vomit? A fever. Because the fever, the fever... This, the tactical raising of body temperature in order to attempt to 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 throw a hail Mary and pray that you your body can raise the body temperature enough to inactivate or kill the bacterial or viral or fungal or otherwise parasitic pathogen that's invading and causing harm to your body that by the nuclear option, that is deadly potentially to the host, that could kill you, and that pulling that alarm and going to that last resort as an as an immune response—literally, what you're trying to do is you're playing you're playing chicken with the virus. I mean, literally, no no pun intended with like bird flu, but. you're saying what is that what is that statement um over you know over over my cold dead out, out of my cold dead hand or over my, my over my dead body i will i will that's the final it's very important to think about what happens when we get exposed to a virus that has evolved in an organism, namely the bat, where temperatures that would kill us, that we cannot raise our body temperature to a level that the bat just normally flies at, that temperature, that is the zone where these viruses have also adapted and evolved hang out at so what does that mean for us that means that guess who dies in the game of chicken that we play called hey virus i got something for you how about a fever watch me boil myself alive in order to kill you and guess who bats last guess who laughs all the way to the bank on that one yeah, didn't didn't think about that, did you? No, I certainly didn't. And that you don't get to say that the government maybe there was a lab leak, maybe there was a gain in function, but the the deeper, more humbling truth is that we're always um, we're always living in the shadow of. The bat gods were always, we would always do well to worship at the altar of the bat goddess because they are able to not just do things that we can only dream of, which is fly with wings attached to their body. They also, as a byproduct of that process of evolving to fly and having those higher body temperatures, they're able to coexist with. Well, I don't know if you would call them thermophilic viruses. It's not exactly the same branch of science, but but it is ironically, I'm going to borrow that and say, yeah. We are very used to thermophobic viruses. And that's what gives us normalcy bias about it's just the flu. No, you wish it was the thermophobic flu. But if you ever encounter a thermophilic virus like the ones that are kicking it in the in the in the hot tub like kicking it just drinking cocktails in that hot tub hot springs environment of the bats body you encounter that whether you were near a lab leak where they were studying those viruses that come from bats or you were in the bat cave or you were at a wet market or you were just picking up your kid from school in a far-off country where there are no caves and there are no bats or whatever, you get to learn the limitations of the fever um, equation. And to me, that's, wow. Someone needs to make a children's book. Someone needs to make a character about the bat who just wanted to love everyone and had the biggest warmest heart and just wanted to teach people and tell people respect nature respect our habitat don't encroach upon us don't take more than you need live by laws of reciprocity and balance and because we don't want to hurt you we want to care for you we want you to, to be aware that we live in this magical realm of being flying mammals, but we also have we we're, we have this um, potential to cause harm. So we want to be very, very graceful and, and let you know that please keep your distance from us and, and maintain safe and best practices. Because the, the trade we made is that we have to be, was that we have to be accommodating to these viruses that can kill you. Behold our beauty and be in awe and reverence of us at a distance, and, that, and then everyone gets to live in peace forever. And then, and and what what uh, what was beautiful also in that documentary where they where they talk to all these bat geek? They bring you to an American agriculturist farmer who is helping us understand why we need bats, why we can't just go to war with bats and do crazy things like we're done to try to eradicate. I mean, like killing snakes to try. I, oh, yeah, the people who say that, uh, that 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 the, the 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 misogyny of the of the church in medieval times trying to instigate people to go and kill snakes because it represented the feminine serpent of the devil, and that that possibly was. Like, played a, a, if not a, a a key role, if it played some role in the rat population explosion that led to the Black Plague, uh, that this is where epistemology and epidemiology get really fun to study. So, uh, okay, I'm, I'm glad I have, I'm glad I'm not in pain. I'm glad, I'm grateful I'm not in agonizing pain and where I can remember what I just said, well, barely remember what I just said, but, long COVID humility and um, long COVID roulette and all this stuff. And I just want to be sitting here telling the bat story. I'm going to keep working on it. Give me a chance. I will eventually have the bat story dialed in. But I just want to be, yeah, that's going to be, that's my job. My job is to ever refine that bat story so that it is comprehensible to, to all of us. Um, the way that we would anybody could watch gremlins and get the point you know when you watch the old mystic take back the cage and go off into the night and like the critique of the hubris of american mechanical hubris and 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 just um losing our way of being humbled by the 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 magic and mystery of nature people they think they see they think about the cdc and they think about the conspiracies and big pharma this and big but no i'm like you know how i think about (laughs) i think about covid19 i think about what it would have felt like to be billy and billy's dad the founder of the bathroom buddy who their negligence brought about the transformation of the gremlin into the or the mogwai into the gremlin and then it wasn't like them being sued or them going to jail or them dying or them being maimed the most searing justice and leveling of ego was the last scene of that film where the where the where, where where they they have to look that that old wise man in the eye and just the credits rolling of him going back up it's like that's how i feel about this whole thing i'm sorry can we be sorry